praise God. So good to be in the house of God today, and uh, man, what a wonderful job the praise team, the singers did, getting us into the presence of God. How many of you already feel the presence of God in a very real way today? Praise God. There's a very, very deep current of the Holy Ghost here, and um, I want to say, before we get into the Word, I'd like to say thanks to uh, Brother Hood and his wife and this church family for making us so welcome the entire week. It has been an absolute joy to be with you guys. The, the accommodations were just second to none. Uh, we just had a wonderful time of fellowship, and uh, man, I love what God is doing in Carson City. The leadership, the worship, praise God. There is a wonderful and bright future for this church, and I am excited to be uh, connected to it in a small way, and um, praise God. We're going to go ahead and get to the Word of God today. Be turning to Psalms chapter 51. Psalms chapter 51. I've heard preachers say before, I am not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, and um, I believe I was taught as a young man that the entire canon of scripture is prophetic. So the man who handles the word is of essence a prophet. And so I don't make the apology today that I am not a prophet and that I am not the son of a prophet. I think we've already heard from Brother Walker that if we have the Holy Ghost and we're baptized in Jesus' name, then we are a son of the prophet. And so I've come today that the function, one of the functions of prophecy is to reconcile. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And prophecy, the Word of God, is designed to reconcile the past, the present, and the future. If you just look at the canon of Scripture, that's what it does. It teaches us about things past. It tells us where we are in our present. And then it tells us about what's going to happen in our future. More specifically today, I, I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost to help somebody reconcile your past, your present, and your future. That's what I'm here to do today. That's my job. That's my assignment. So I'm, that's what I'm here. I'm going to help you. Rec I want you to be thinking while I'm preaching today about where you come from, about where you are, and about where God wants to take you. Praise God. Psalms chapter 51 and verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thy speakest and be clear when you judge the prophet here is saying God listen I already know what I've done I already know where I've been I know the mistakes that I've made I'm gonna I'm not, I'm not playing games with God. I didn't come to church today to play games with God. 
I didn't come today to hide anything from God. When I come into the presence of God, I'm a blank slate. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a dad. I'm not a husband. I'm a child of God. I've come today to do business with God. And so the prophet, the, the, the psalmist David here is saying, God, listen, I know that I've sinned. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm broken, God. I don't want you, when you judge, I don't want you to have any difficulty at all. It won't be the kind of situation where you have to send somebody else to tell me, God, I'm, I'm transparent in your presence today, and I just want to let you know, God, against thee and thee alone have I sinned. So don't be confused when you judge, God. I want you to know, I'm coming before you today. I'm sending my sins before me, and I'm saying, God, I am a sinner today. I am broken, and I am messed up, and I am in need of mercy and grace. Against thee and thee alone have I sinned, and I've done this evil in your sight. That you might be clear, that you might be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I want to preach on this thought today. I was born this way. I was born this way. Why don't you put your Bible down and lift your hands to God and just talk to him. God, I pray in the name of Jesus in the next 30 or 45 minutes that you would minister in this place. Help us, God. Help us, God. Let the word, God, penetrate our hearts today, God. Let it captivate our spirits. Let, us, let it take us where you would have us go, God. We praise you for it. We magnify you for it in advance. Why didn't somebody go ahead and give him a shout of praise? We magnify your name, Jesus. We glorify your name, oh God. We worship you, Jesus. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of God today. Every generation has voices that sing songs and perform, and they are entertainers, and they effectively preach the message of that day. I know a lot of people like to pretend like, you know, they come to church and they hear the singing and they say, well, you're just trying to program me. You're trying to convince me of something. They hear the preaching and they, they feel like, you know, there's this attitude like the preacher's just trying to sell them something. But the reality of it is, is it doesn't matter where you go in society. Somebody's trying to sell you something. Somebody, if you just drive down the strip here in Carson City, you'll find out really quickly that everybody has something on the market and everybody is trying to present something to you and for you. And whether people are aware of it or not, the prominent spiritual themes of any generation are publicly broadcast by singers and songwriters and entertainers who are well compensated for their time. In every culture, the values and the ethics and the morals and the beliefs are being prominently broadcast by, by entertainers and they are written in song and they are across billboards and they sing and dance and rally around what they believe. Everybody believes something. Everybody has faith about something. Everybody is being entertained by something. A very well-known and prominent uh, uh, American cultural icon, her name is uh, Stefani Joanne Angelina Germanata and you may or may not know her but she has a stage name her name is Lady Gaga and she produced an album several years ago that I believe effectively communicates the dysfunction and the message of this generation she is generally accepted to be one of the most outlandish and most eccentric performers and producers and worldly artists of our generation her album was entitled, I Was Born This Way. 
just in case you were wondering about the degenerate and the broken state of the world that we are living in this grammy nominated project paints a picture of a lifestyle of absolute depravity she writes no matter if you are gay straight or bi a lesbian or transgendered life you're on the right track baby you were born this way her point in writing this song is that if this generation will simply hide behind the label that I was born this way, then you cannot judge them if you just say, well, whatever my broken state is, then I, this is how I am, this is how my daddy was, this is how his daddy was, or my mama and her mama was, then you can't judge me, this dysfunction that I am living out with my life. I was born this way. She goes on to say, I am beautiful in my own way because God makes no mistakes. Now, you want to say, well, the, the world's not theological. The church is, no, this is a theology, my friend. She brings God into the discussion, and she says, I am beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. And she is effectively telling this generation that their depraved, sexually twisted, and perverted lifestyle is nobody's fault but God. One of the kids in my youth group a number of years ago called me late at night and he said, Stephen, I want to tell you I had never heard this song or the lyrics or obviously don't listen to these types of songs and so I wasn't familiar with it. But this was a kid in a high school and he was witnessing the friends at school and he said that some of the friends that he was witnessing to were telling him, you've got to listen to this song so that you understand why I live the way that I do. And they were hiding behind this song and he called me and he said, Stephen, this is what kids are listening to. And the more that I try to witness to them the more entrenched in their ideology they are and they say you can't judge me you can't try to convert me you can't try to make me change I was born this way I want to tell a parent today that kids believe this message like a doctrine they wear it around their neck like a badge and they hide behind what is I want to propose to you a defiant spirit and immediately in that moment when I was talking to this young person God gave me this message and I want to preach today I know that I am preaching to you but I am preaching beyond you there is a spiritual dynamic that happens when a word goes forth and I'm not just preaching to the people under the sound of my voice but I am preaching to the spirits in Carson City I'm preaching to every foul bird of prey that would say no you can't preach in this city you can't hold up a high standard for lifestyle I want to tell you that the word of God defies every foul bird of prey the word of God defies every defiant spirit let God today be true and let every man every spirit every high thing be a liar somebody praise God for the standard of the word of God somebody magnify God in this place Satan your kingdom is coming down in my life in my home in my family in my church, in my community, in my school, it's coming down. There are two primary functions of prophecy. There are two primary functions of preaching. And I want to talk about those for just a few moments. The first one is to declare the truth. And the second one is to uncover the lie. 
The first responsibility of a prophet in Scripture was to preach the absolute authority of God and His Word. That's what Brotherhood does, and that's what the other teachers in this, this church are doing, and preachers in this church are doing, and preachers across the movement are doing. They are preaching the absolute authority of the Word of God. But juxtaposed to the authority of the Word of God, that is it pristine and forever settled in the heaven, is a demonic lie that would try to undermine the Word of God and say that you don't have to believe what God says and it cloaks itself in deception and in deceit I've come today to declare the truth but I've also come to this generation to uncover the lie every lie that says just because you're broken and just because you have a predisposition and just because it comes natural to you it does not mean that you don't have to live to a higher standard that does not mean that you don't have to reach up for something that is pristine and perfect and beautiful and God sent. This spirit is driving a message that is communicating to our young people. You can't, you can't judge me. And, and, and if, you, if you say I was born this way, then you can hide. And then you can be cloaked in this deception behind the mask of a beautiful and sensual young entertainer is the howling voice of a spirit that is as ancient as time, the voice of a spiritual delusion. And young people and adults alike are flocking to this message in this generation. You can't say that my lifestyle is wrong. You can't call what I do sin. You can't call what I do bad. After all, I was born this way this terribly twisted and mangled and disfigured person this mess of a life I was born this way it's my nature it's who I am I'm just being myself it's like the emperor's new clothes he's walking down the street naked and everybody if we can just get everybody to, to get behind the message if we can get everybody to get behind the idea and that's why that spirit hates the church that's why that spirit hates a righteous preacher that's why that spirit hates a mom and dad that says no baby you can't talk like that you can't act like that you can't walk like that you can't go where they're going and do what they're doing so everyone's just acting like it's normal until the entire culture has degenerated to the point where it's upside down and there is no wrong or right and few people even know what good and bad is anymore and then one little voice speaks from the back of the crowd. One little child in innocence, still a little bit of naivete, who looks at mom and who looks at dad and says, Hey, mom, uh, uh, that man, is, is, is he not naked? Baby, you can't say that. You can't talk like that. But I want to tell somebody here today, it's time for a righteous person, man, woman, boy, and girl, to stand up in a world that's losing its mind and say, no, that is not right. That's not from God. That's not righteous. That's not good. That's not beautiful. That's not godly. But they say, no, he... he He's expressing himself. He's just doing what comes natural to him. The same young person that called me about this song and this mantra in school, he sent me a text message a while back quoting a discussion from a teacher in his Spanish class. 
And he said, today our cultured liberal Spanish teacher was, dog, uh, was dogging Christians in the Bible Belt for being hypocrites, saying that bringing your Bible to school was absurd, that school isn't the place for that, and that all fundamentalist Christians are blind to the fact that all Christian churches really originated from Catholicism, and that, by the way, there is absolutely nothing wrong with drinking alcohol and partying. This is, this is what is being propagated in public schools. Why, do you, why bring your Bible to school? Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Don't you know that your, your doctrine, your theology just came out of Catholicism anyway? But that's when it's beautiful to be able to look at a kid in the eye and say, Baby, our doctrine didn't come out of the Catholic Church. Our doctrine didn't come from the Reformation. Our doctrine didn't come from the Creed of Nicaea. Our doctrine didn't come from the Athanasian Creed. But our doctrine goes back thousands of years to Deuteronomy 6 and 4 hear O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord our doctrine goes back to the birthday of the church then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall be shall be shall be filled with the Holy Ghost Come on, somebody praise him for the doctrine. Because this generation is tired of hypocrisy. They're tired of fake church. They want to come into a church where like we did this morning when the praise singers started singing and when people started to worship. I looked around this house. There were very few people who still had dry eyes when they started thinking about what God has done in their life and they started remembering when their burdens rolled away, when they started lifting up their hands and rejoicing and magnifying the Lord. The tears started to fall because the people of God have a testimony I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in, and then a little light from heaven filled my soul. A little later on, a teacher was fired for posting a personal message on a personal computer in his own house, on his own personal Facebook page, on his own personal time that he was upset over the overturning of gay marriage in his state. He was fired from a public job because he was posting on his own computer, own time, own Facebook page about his theology. Let me tell you something. It's not a day for the church to get weak need. And it's not a day for the church to soften the message. And it's not a day for the church to back up. There are people in the world that you go to work with and you go to school with. Their lives are mangled. Their lives are broken. Their lives are messed up. And they need somebody to tell them the truth. They need somebody to proclaim righteousness. They need somebody to tell them, this is the way. Walk ye therein. But it's happening in classrooms and on social media, television, Hollywood, spewing vile garbage to people that they can live a depraved and mangled and twisted life immorality running rampant in our day with impunity there is no righteous judge David even said it he said when I considered the prosperity of the wicked 
He said, when I started looking around me at what everybody else is doing and how everybody else was living, he said, my feet had well nigh slipped. Let me tell somebody something. If you get looking around too much and you're looking at the billboards and you're looking at what, what hell is selling and what the world is doing, you can get really confused. But David said, that's why I went back to the house of God and I heard the word of God preach one more time and I heard somebody say what was true and then I remembered you see you start looking at the world too much and you forget you start allowing those songs those messages to penetrate your spirit these platforms out there that we say that's not church but every honky tonk has a message and every hip hop song has a message and everything happening in the world has a message why don't you leave your bible at home and why don't you come out and join the party after all you were born this way and a lot of times for apostolics they feel the urge they feel the instinctive pull of a carnal nature and they say you know what I'm not going to be a hypocrite let me just go ahead and do it but let me tell you something until Christ is formed in you keep on worshiping God until Christ is formed in you keep on coming back to church until Christ is formed in you be faithful to a Bible study until Christ is formed in you come back to the house of God and have your flesh your carnal mind your your spirit reminded of what is right and what is wrong goes all the way back to the beginning Genesis chapter 4 and Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bare Cain and said I have gotten a man from the Lord the very first man born into the, this world was born fallen David said it best when he said behold I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me and Paul said it like this I find then a law everybody say a law Come on, we know the law, the word of God. But Paul said, let me tell you about another law. He said, I find a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the bond of this death? Peter said it like this, depart from me, Oh Lord, for I am a sinful man. Isaiah said it like this. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Today, humanity is messed up and broken down and flawed and pieced together. Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look at somebody next to you and tell them I was born this way. God even said, I looked for a man, God the timeless one, the essential one, the eternal one, the omnipresent and omniscient one said I looked for a man and when God looks it's not episodic and momentary like it is for us but God said when I looked for a man I scanned eternity I looked from the beginning until the end he said and I looked for a man somebody who could fix the human problem he said I looked for a man to stand in the gap I looked for a man to make up the hedge but I could not find one God said 
said, I got tired of looking around at the depravity in the world too. In the days of Noah, the Bible says that God looked at the fact that man's heart was evil continuously and God repented that he had made man. So in all of God's looking and searching, finally he said, you know what? I'm eternal and I'm timeless and I'm perfect. He said, I'm going to take off my robe of royalty. I'm going to take off my perfection. God said, I looked. I couldn't find a person for one single solid solitary person who was good or perfect or righteous or spotless or without blemish without sin without error without flaw no one not one single person so God peeled back his immortality and he put on mortality he who was without sin became sin and in so doing God commended his love for us that while I was distressed and diseased and disillusioned while I was dysfunctional damaged and disqualified while I was discouraged, depressed and desperate. In due time God died for the ungodly. Is there anybody here that is thankful for the price that was paid at Calvary for God's perfection, putting on imperfection so that my imperfection could become perfection. Come on somebody praise him. Somebody praise him. Come on, somebody magnify the Lord right now. Praise God. I was born on June 28th, 1982 in a hospital in South Louisiana. As a young child, my parents can attest to this. I was a Cajun's Cajun. I was as dysfunctional as you could imagine. I didn't wear shoes. I played in ditches. I caught crawfish. I hunted and fished every day of my life. I had mud all between my toes. I couldn't help it. I was born that way. That's how they say it in South Louisiana. Hey, Shia, I was born that way. I was... I was a mess. I was a good Cajun mess. And uh, I lived less than 100 yards from the swamp. I was dirty most of the time. I was a product of the culture that I was born into. Like that old gospel song, I'm glad I don't look like what I've been through. Anybody else feel that way today? <laughs> Praise God. I got in all kinds of trouble. I, my first and third day of kindergarten, I pulled the fire alarm. First and third day of kindergarten. The first time that I pulled it, it was so exciting. They didn't catch me, of course. I was good at getting away. But the first time that I pulled it, they brought the fire trucks out, and they had the kids in the school come out and spend time with the firefighters and, like, get on the truck. And it was, they were doing it for educational purposes. It was so exciting. I did it again. And... Of course, didn't get caught that time, but I did, I did all kinds of crazy things. I ran away. I, I was so good one day that my kindergarten teacher said you know, she, wanted, she was trying to, to encourage good behavior. And I was so good that day. I don't know what happened. Maybe I didn't get a lot of sleep, and I was sleepy, and my, my adrenaline was running, running low or something. But I was good at school, and so she said, I'm going to let Stephen lead the line 
back to the classroom after lunch. And so I was like, well, this, is, this is cool. I, I was standing up front, and the teacher had everybody positioned correctly and went back around the corner to get the remainder of the kids. And I convinced the two kids behind me to run away from school. And so we ran out the door, and we went and hid under that we were in a trailer. We went and hid under the trailer, and the teacher couldn't find us. And then we dared one of the kids that was with us to climb up on this fence, and it was separating the school from the, the cane field next to us. And he climbed up on the fence, and he was going to run away from school, like go on the other side of the fence, and we were going to follow him. Of course, I don't think I was really going to follow him, but I convinced him to do it. So when the teacher is looking for she's frantic. She comes around the corner. She finds him on the fence, and we're sitting under the trailer looking back at him, shaking our heads no, just like this. And, of course, my parents were, were called to the school, and my mom wept. And I, I was that kid. I got into all kinds of trouble. One of the things we did my grandfather had several houses on a piece of property, and we broke all the windows out in one of his houses. It was a house that they used for storage. We went and got a bunch of rocks, and we threw them and broke all the windows out in his house. And uh, we put grass in the gas tanks of the neighbor's four-wheelers. And uh, I was a, a modern-day precursor to Dennis the Menace. I was a mess. I was My mom, she wept. Of, of my four siblings, I was the one that gave her grief. But I was, I was born like that. I was, that's, that's the culture that I came out of. That was my personality. And, but I was also born into one of the most indulgent cultures that I've ever seen. Alcohol and drugs and promiscuity. I have memories of my great-grandfather giving me swigs of his alcohol when I was just a kid. And you know, you know the, the, the scriptural philosophy, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Well, they take it literally too. And, and so they were training me up to be something. And, and I, that's the culture that I was, I was raised in. And, and uh, many times crawfish boils and couchon delays turned into drunken parties where once all of the adults were properly inebriated and the kids would come behind. And kids model. And I could, I, I, I was really, clear. there were several things I wanted to preach today. One of the sermons I wanted to preach was called Broken Windows. Maybe I'll come back later on and, and preach it. One of the things that happens for kids early on in their years, in the first seven years, neuroscientists say, psychologists say that, that kids are like, they're like an open, they're, they're, they're in receiving mode, they are in theta mode, and they are receiving information. And then once they receive that information, they start modeling, they start acting out. And so the first seven years of a child's life is literally programming. They are receiving all of the information from the culture and the environment around them. Now let me, let me stop, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this, but let me stop and tell you that all of these things happening in my life happen in the season of time that my parents got in the church and came into the apostolic experience and began to live for God. And this was in the same season of time that I received the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus' name. But, but the culture around me, the environment around me was programming me to think and to live a certain way. And, and so I, after, at, they say after seven years old, after theta, theta, after the child receives all of the information, they begin acting in a certain way that is consistent with that programming. And so I just want I want, to, I want to stop and tell somebody here today that the world that you grew up in, if you think about the first seven, this is the past, the first seven years of your life, the first seven years of your life was programming you. And they say, neuroscientists and psychologists say that for the remainder of your life, 95 to 97% of your decisions will be made off of the first seven years of programming. Now, this is really good and this is really bad. This is really good because if you raise a child
child in an apostolic environment, their primary memories, what, what I mean is their primary, and they even say this. They say, if a child is having a bad experience, do not act emotional, mom and dad, because whatever, what, however you act in that moment that that child is in receiving mode, it will. the more emotional the moment, the more it will reinforce that moment in the child's life, and the more that that negative experience will follow them for the rest of their life. And so the, the good part of this is that if you make the primary emotional moments in a child's life spiritual, if you make the most powerful moments worship services, if you make the most powerful moments prayer services if you make the most powerful moments in their life alter experiences then for the rest of their life no matter how far out they go as a prodigal son no matter how far out they go as a younger brother at some point there will be a resurgence of that memory and that experience that's why you have to make a commitment to the house of God. That's why you have to make a commitment to prayer. Because whatever the most significant and emotional moments are for them, those memories will follow them for the rest of their life. But the flip side of that is, is that if a kid for the first seven years, if all they saw was grandmama and grandfather smoking and drinking and doing drugs, if they drive down the street and they have these memories of dad wasted or mom wasted or abuse in the home, then they can, they can get the Holy Ghost get baptized in Jesus name but if they don't begin to climb up out of those memories they say there are two ways to overwhelm those early memories the first one is hypnosis and we know that's a very controversial thing but the second thing is repetition what that means is if in the first seven years you had some really bad experiences mama if in the first seven years your daddy told you you were stupid or you were ugly or you would never be anything in life if you will by repetition re and re enforce the right things then you can you can overwhelm your subconscious programming so if you had some things happen in your life and they were negative all you have to do is reinforce the correct things over oh that's why the bible says let this mind be in you that was also in christ jesus who being in the form of god thought it not robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no i want to tell somebody here today I don't care how bad your past was. God's got a future for you. I don't care how bad your memories are. God's got a better future for you. I don't care how negative your childhood was. God's got a destiny for you. But, but you, you, you have to reinforce the correct things. And by repetition and by talking in tongues and by praying in the Holy Ghost and by coming back to the house of God and having having these spiritual things and these God destiny moments then they begin to overwhelm the negative experience but, I, but I'm telling you about my childhood because I want you to understand how I was born and, and because a lot of times you'll look at a guy standing up, the, up on the platform and you'll make some assumptions about how he got where he is but let me tell you something there's nobody in this room today who your childhood was worse now we could probably compare stories and you may have some negative experiences but let me tell you something I had to climb up out of a crawfish hole to get here today for, for multiple generations in my family nobody graduated high school for multiple generations in my family people had kids out of wedlock but there was a moment in my life where I had an encounter with Jesus and there was a moment 
in my life where I was filled with the Spirit of God and I went down in the water in Jesus' name and God turned it around. Look what the Lord has done. That was, that was, that was my experience for, for years and years and years. I remember waking up, Brother Hood, with dreams after I got the Holy Ghost. Waking up with dreams, having, having dreamt of smoking cigarettes and doing some of the things that I had seen modeled all of my life. And waking up in a cold sweat at a young age with the Holy Ghost down on the inside of me. But wrestling with this old nature that Paul talks about. When I would do good, sin is present with me. Uh, I want to tell you that I, 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 of, of all of my cousins, the majority of the cousins that I grew up with uh, ended up in alcohol or drug rehab. I buried a cousin at 22 years old uh, because he died in an alcohol-induced uh, accident. And he flipped his car over. And when they buried him they put a salt shaker in one hand and a, and a cigarette lighter in the other the cigarette lighter because he never had a lighter to, to light his cigarettes and the salt shaker because when he drank alcohol he liked to sprinkle salt on the edge of his beer can and I remember going to Cody's funeral as a young man and I remember standing beside the casket with parents who had been in and out of a, an apostolic church charismatic experience and, and filled with the Holy Ghost but deciding to live based on the culture that they were surrounded by who put the salt shaker and who put the lighter in his hand I stood there at the casket but I refused to weep but I made Cody a promise in that moment Cody it's not going to always be this way Cody I'm going to preach righteousness Cody I'm going to live for God Cody I'm going to help other young people who are I'm here preaching to you today because I've got a burden in my life and on my heart that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit marvel not that I say unto you you must be born again brother hood they have done tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage to ATVs and boats and cars my family is messed up and it is broken and it is it is systemic and it is generational dysfunction I was born into it it's in my blood and it's in my DNA my great-grandparents ran a bar at a place called Lake Verrett in South Louisiana. And as a kid, my dad spent many nights sleeping on the pool table in that bar surrounded by drunks while his grandparents cleaned up. In that bar room, somewhere in the dark recesses of that foul-smelling place, there is a bar stool with my name on it. And if that's what I became, then everybody around me would look at me and say, you know what? You're just a chip off the old block. You know what? You just became what everybody else was. If that's what I, if that's what I became, they would give me a pass. But let me tell somebody at six years old, in, a, in an apostolic church, in the prayer room, in the back of that church, I remember living lifting my hands and feeling the presence of God and having God fill me with his spirit in 1989 in a little Pentecostal church in Plottenville, Louisiana. I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the very first time. And two weeks later, my family moved to Birmingham, Alabama. And in a little church off of Highway 11, I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins. You see, that's what Jesus meant when he said, verily, 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 I say unto thee, except a man be born of water 
and of spirit. He cannot enter into the, to the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The wind blows where it listeth. You can hear the sound of it. You can't tell where it's coming from and where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You see, young people, I know you've heard it preached all of your life. I know you've heard the message of Acts 2.38 and one God. And the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Baptism in Jesus' name. And it sounds like some little cute passage of Scripture that we like to talk about. But it's not just a cute little passage of Scripture to me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I want to tell somebody here today that there's more to living for God than accepting Christ as your personal Savior. You've got to be buried with Him. You have to die with Him. And you have to be resurrected with Him. You have to die to your sins. Die to your old lifestyle. Die to your old way of living. You've got to be buried with him in baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and you've got to be resurrected with him by the infilling of the spirit of God you've got to be born again you've got to be born again it's transformative it's dynamic and it's supernatural when you go down in the water in Jesus name you are transformed on a dynamic and molecular level. I want to tell you, it goes beyond just what you see in the pages of a book. It gets down into your thoughts and down into your imaginations. And it puts the seed of something. John said it like this. He said, if you are baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. And, and you're no longer the old man, but you become a new creation. That when you receive the spirit of Christ, you receive power to become the sons of God. That word, it become, is progressive that's the book that brotherhood showed you today power to become the sons of God the seed of God's spirit is in you the name of Jesus is applied to your life and let me tell you something the seed for a new creation is planted on the inside of you the seed that was planted into a little Cajun kid that was all kinds of dysfunctional but it set me on a journey it set me on a path to becoming a new person to becoming a new creation power to become the sons of God At, literally I received the Holy Ghost my dad had had a dream crazy my parents were split up my dad was Catholic my mom was Catholic tradition and my parents were split up after I was born. And my dad told my mom, I'm not coming back. But in that season of time, my mom received the Holy Ghost. And my mom's life was transformed and she started praying for my dad. She started witnessing to him and she started telling him, you need to come to this church with me. It's changed. Listen, my mom, Brother Hood, my mom walked into her closet just a handful of days after she received the Holy Ghost, had never been through a Bible study and saw all of those clothes hanging up in her closet and the Holy Ghost told her, get rid of them. The Holy Ghost told my mama to stop cutting her hair. Let me tell you something. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Spirit. 
And when you, when you get the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, the Holy Ghost starts blowing you around. It starts messing up your agenda. It starts messing up your schedule. It starts messing up your lifestyle. It starts telling you you can't go here and you can't go there and you need to go here and you need to go there. My mama didn't have anybody teach her those things. She started praying for my dad. My dad, she would witness to him. My dad said, I was born a Catholic. I'm going to die a Catholic. And my mom kept praying. She kept witnessing him. He wouldn't come. And they were separated. One day my dad called my mom. He had some money he was going to give her for the kids. So he went to meet my mom. And she just so happened to be at her pastor's house. My dad pulled in the driveway. And he sat outside and waited for my mom to come out. And my mama sent a couple of little preacher's kids out to the driver's window of his car. A couple of little, I don't remember, they were maybe 9, 10, 11 years old. And they came out, skipping. They came to the front window. And they said, hey, we're having a special service at our church. We would like for you to come. And my dad will tell you to this day what all of those other people witnessing him could not do. Those little girls broke through his heart. And he said, I'm going to be there. The next service, my dad was sitting in a Pentecostal church. At the end of that service, my dad lifted up his hands. And the Spirit of God filled him. And he began to speak with other tongues. And he went down in the water in Jesus' name. And that, that was the beginning of a crossroads in my family's life. Because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. My dad had a dream. Brother Hood, my dad had a dream not long after he got the Holy Ghost. And in the dream, the pastor that he had just received the Holy Ghost under was dressed in a suit. And my dad was standing next to him and he was dressed in a suit and there was another man in a dream that my dad didn't know. He was dressed in a suit. And in the dream, my dad said he was kind of awkward. Remember, this is a Catholic kid. No history in Pentecost. He said in the dream, he felt like his pastor was giving him to this other man. He said, I didn't understand it. I had no idea what it meant. He said, for several weeks, I wept because I felt like something in my life was dying, being led of the Spirit. He said, I felt like something in my life was dying. And he said, I went to my pastor about it, and he said, I feel like there's something being ripped out of my life. And his pastor said, well, I don't know what to tell you. And then my dad asked him, he said, he said, Brother Murphy, are you leaving he said, no, I'm not leaving. He said, I feel like you're leaving. He said, of course I'm not leaving. Within a couple of months, that pastor was called to preach in another city. And my dad was without a pastor. He got a phone call from Birmingham, Alabama with a job offer. In that same season, my dad did, in that same season of time. He left us 
at home and he traveled to Birmingham for two weeks and his first objective was to find an apostolic church he passed multiple churches that he did not even know were there going back and forth from the temporary stay location to the job that he was trying out for walked into the door of New Life Church in Birmingham, Alabama met Reverend Barry Sutton when he saw his face he was the man from the dream it's been 27 I'm 36 29 years 29 years when we left Louisiana my little sawed off Cajun self with mud between my toes heart was broken as you could imagine my Catholic grandmother I'm not disparaging any religion but I'm going to help somebody here today because there are people here today you don't have the Holy Ghost and God's going to give it to you but there are people today who have been living for God for a long time and God has a future for you that you can't even see yet and God's saying you're going to have to change some things my Catholic grandmother made a pact with my older brother because we were, we were devastated our grandparents our, everything we knew was there the culture deeply embedded in me I had just received the Holy Ghost but I had not yet been baptized my grandmother made a pact with my older brother and she said I'm going to pray and fast for you that it does not work out for your family in Birmingham now God gave my dad the dream and she vowed to pray and fast that it not work out but let me tell somebody something here today all hell broke loose in my family many times in fights with my parents my older brother would look at my dad and say when I turn 18 I'm going home home was always South Louisiana home was always the house of the familiar for him and my grandmother was praying and fasting that it not work I don't know at what point in my childhood it happened but I literally felt like something was tearing on the inside of me we would go back to visit and we would be surrounded by the parties the alcohol the drugs the promiscuity the pornography and it was like it was like the old the old nature kept churning on the inside of me and then I would come back to Birmingham and I would have to get it out of my mind and get it out of my spirit and it was like God God had, had he had taken us from a point in my life where it was everything that I knew to a, a brand new location it was like leaving Egypt and I remember fights with my parents my mom in moments of anxiety and stress she would look at my dad and she would say, I'm leaving, I'm going home. That conflict never ceased in my childhood. I have, an, I have an uncle, a great uncle that was killed by the mob because of gambling debt. They took him out into a forest and blew him, blew his head off with a shotgun. 
My brother had never heard the story, but the moment he turned 17 and left home, you know what he did? He packed his bags and he got in his car and he went back to Louisiana. And you know what he did? He started gambling. He picked up the old debt. He picked up the old habit. He picked up the... To this day, my brother is not living for God and he is a mess. Because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. I was the first, the first one in my family. I remember sitting at the table in Birmingham at 15 years old. My brother was 16. I remember, let me, what I'm about to tell you is a big deal. And you may think it's not, but it is a big deal. I remember sitting down with my mom and dad. And my mom and dad looking at me and saying, you need to drop out of high school. We had a bad high school experience. My brother dropped out because at my parents' advice. And I remember sitting there in that moment, looking at mom and dad, and knowing that I had an incredible uphill battle to fight and saying no. got angry living for God filled with the Holy Ghost but connected to a house that for generations nobody had graduated high school and the pre-programming of my childhood had reinforced in my mind let me let me tell a young person something here today I've heard Brother Hood introduced me the other night and he said something to the effect of smart or intelligent or brilliant or whatever you said I've heard other people recently introduce me that way. But I've spent the majority of my life under the stigma of you're not smart enough. Part of being the repository of the Spirit of God is the idea of climbing up out of the hole, the generational curse that has defined you on every level. This is not just about coming to church and being faithful to the house of God. This is about saying, you know what? I could take you back and I could introduce you to the people that their lives are still broken. They've got the Holy Ghost. They've been baptized in Jesus' name. But they have not allowed the new identity of God to come on them and to reject the cultural model that has defined their family for generations. And I had to sit there in that moment. That's why Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my father? Those that do the will of my, my father, they are my mother and my brethren. The reality of it is, is at some point in your life, you have to embrace the identity. We are kings and priests above all men. You have to embrace the reality that I can be more than what's happening around me in my culture. That what's happening, that what my dad was and what my mom was and what my family is and what my culture is. I am a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. generations of glass men but there was a point in my life where the Holy Ghost said you're not a glass man anymore that's what my dad was that's what his dad was one of the reasons my parents tried to talk me into dropping out of high school is they said you have a trade I graduated high school I made $15 an hour when I graduated I had a trade but 
the reality of it is, is the Holy Ghost was calling me to do something else. And what I'm trying to communicate to somebody today is that the process of becoming in the kingdom of God begins with a new birth. It begins with getting baptized and receiving the Holy Ghost. But it continues to pull us out of the culture and out of the family. It, it causes, I'm telling you, there are people all around you. You don't realize what they would be if the Holy Ghost hadn't started a work in their life. I wouldn't be standing in front of you. I wouldn't be preaching to you today. But God said, come on, boy. Come on, boy. Come out of that culture. Come out of that way of seeing. Come out of that way world and let me make you something of consequence and so musicians can come I'm done I marvel I really do the biggest miracle I've ever seen the greatest miracle I've ever seen is the miracle of me I know a lot of profound miracles that God has done I don't know any more profound miracle than the miracle of Stephen because I know I know what was tugging at my heart I know that what I, I know what I was created to be I know I know there's a bar stool in Louisiana with my name on it my babies will never have to know that tug they don't know my daughter does not know that man listen young person listen I remember feeling the call of God and going to work, running a business, doing glass work. And I remember being on a porch. A guy was very wealthy, and he owned a very large house in Birmingham. And I was doing some work for him, and I was on the porch. It was pouring down, raining. We were under a little covered area, and I was working on a piece of glass on his door. And he's sitting there on, on his porch swing. And he looked at me, and he said, who are you? I said, I'm just a glass man putting in a piece of glass. He said, no, you're not. No, you're not. He said, you're something else. This is a man who had hired a lot of people and fired a lot of people and could identify potential. Wasn't a preacher. Wasn't a, a child of God, to my knowledge. Just a good guy. You're not, you're not a glass man. He said, there's something, something else in your life. You're, you're something different. What else do you do? I said, well, I teach Bible studies. I'm a youth pastor. I preach. He said, ah, that's what you are. You see, the problem is, is that the seed is there. But many times, between the potential being placed in us by God and the actualization of it, there's that lonely road where in the back of your mind you hear you're not smart enough, you're not smart enough, you're not smart enough, you're not smart enough, you're not smart enough. And you believe it. And it gets you off and it throws you off and it derails the process of God in your life. But if you keep walking straight ahead, if you keep allowing God, this man of God, to challenge you to get up on top of your old identity there'll be a point you'll just keep walking faithfully to the house of God you'll just keep being faithful to Bible study and faithful to development and faithful to what the Holy Ghost is leading you into and one day you'll walk into a season and you'll look up and people will identify you as the new man 
But let me tell you a secret. I've never forgotten where God brought me from. And when I come into the church and they begin to sing and I feel the presence of God again and somebody says something really nice about me, yeah, but you don't know. You don't know the conflict. You don't know what it's like to look your mom and dad in the eyes and say, Mom and Dad, I love you, but I'm not staying here. I love you, but I'm not letting this old world and this old culture define me. Let me tell you something. I drove down the streets of this city last night. I know what kind of battle the hoods and this church have to build a church in Carson City. I drove past the brothels and the casinos. I drove past the bars. And I watch drunk men stumble out in the street and people have to tap their brakes to avoid hitting them. I can walk down the street with the best of you and hum the old songs because I was in and out of that bar room early on as a kid. There's a tear in my beer and I'm crying for it. I know the songs. I'm very familiar with, with what it's going to take to build a revival church in Carson City. You know how you rebuild, you build a, a revival church in Carson City? You have a bunch of individuals that are transformed by the Holy Ghost. And when they walk into their city, they are a walking, talking repository of revival. And the world looks at you and they say, how did you get so put together? And the Bible says that when the Antichrist comes against them, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they love not their lives unto the death. How do you build a church? This is how you build a church in Carson City. Person by person, God begins the process of regeneration, the process of getting you, brotherhood, excuse me, of getting you to stand up on top of your old way of seeing and your old culture and your old life and say, look what God can do. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. This is what Carson City needs. Carson City needs some people who say, no matter where I've been and what I've done, God can make a miracle out of my life. God can, listen, I'm telling somebody who hasn't graduated high school, you may be older, you can go back and get your GED. I'm telling somebody, after you get your GED, you can go to college. God, I'm telling somebody here today, God's not finished with you. God's just getting started. Come on, all over the house, let's stand and let's lift our hands to God. Come on, there's some people under the sound of my voice. The Holy Ghost has been talking to you. There are people here who you've never received the Holy Ghost. You might say, my life is broken. Yeah, my life was broken. I know the drill. You might say, my life is messed up. Yeah, I know lives are messed up. But there is a balm in Gilead. There is a, there is a healing in this house today. You may say, well, I've never experienced the Spirit of God. Come on down to the front. We'll pray for you. God will fill you with His Spirit. I'm telling you, everybody who is here who has never received the Spirit of God can receive it today. If you've never spoken in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance, you can receive the Holy Ghost today. Come on, there are some marriages that are 
on the rocks and God said, come on, I can fix a marriage. Come on, I'm telling you, I can tell you firsthand. My parents were separated, but they've been married for almost 40 years today because the Holy Ghost works. The power of God works. The church works. I want to tell somebody here today, you may be insecure and broken, but God said, come on, bring me your insecurity. Bring me your old way of seeing and I will give you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Come on, this altar is open today. This altar is open today. This altar is open today. The presence of God is here. The power of God is here. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, I bind every spirit right now. You said what we bind on the earth would be bound in the heavens. What we loose in the earth would be loosed in the heavens. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. In the name of
fly a 